Good morning. Uh, my name's Steve, and um, I'm married to Tammy, and we have the pleasure of helping lead this, uh, this thing we call Central Vineyard. So if it's your first time with us, uh, it's great to have you here. Um, as Sam said, we have some new Connect cards, and, uh, and, and the reason why they're new is because, as you would have known, this Friday, the law changed uh, the, way, the way we handle data, organizations handle data. So if, if you happen to fill one of these in, um, there is a section on the back which is like war and peace, okay? Um, but read those details, and if you don't tick and sign, we can't process your data, okay? So if you do fill that in, make sure you tick the right relevant boxes and sign, and we're free to process your data. Otherwise, you're dead to us. No. Um, um, otherwise, we can't, we can't do that. So, um, Okay, this morning, um, things are a little bit different because we want to really just take some time. We just thought, bank holiday weekend, no one will be at church, so we can do this. No. Um, so it's good, it's good to see you, and uh, well done for not going camping or anything like that. Um, but we thought we would take some time just to give you a little bit uh, of an update on the ongoing development of this building. Um, it's hard to believe we've been here for 22 months, and uh, so much has happened in that time. Um, we've, we've developed this upper floor and, um, you know, seen God do some wonderful things in our midst. You know, we, we came here and we had to go to two services, and in that time we've grown by about 54%. Um, so our attendance is up by about 54% as we've just made more space for more people. And then, of course, all the ministry that goes on during the week, that we have the opportunity in the last 22 months to touch hundreds, if not thousands, of lives each week. And so that's um, a real privilege and a real honor to be able to do that. And so as um, so, really what I want to do is um, is actually kind of relate to something that we spoke about when we first moved into this building. Um, and I just kind of want to allude back to that as kind of a backdrop for telling you about what's, uh, what's been going on in the background as we build up um, to seeing the rest of this property developed. So if you've got a Bible, um, why don't you turn to uh, Jeremiah 29. And um, I'm gonna, um, we're going to start in verse 11 this morning. Um, but then we're going to go backwards. I don't know if you've ever read your Bible backwards. It's, it's, a, it's a new fad, okay? So we're going to start in 11 and then go back, work our way backwards. Uh, you'll see why in a moment. Um, but just let me, let me just read verse 11. It says, this is uh, the Lord speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. And he says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. That is a familiar passage of Scripture. If you've read your Bibles, uh, if you've been around church, then it's probably a passage of Scripture that many of us have uh, memorized. And uh, it's, a, it's a passage of hope, isn't it? It's a passage that, that God has got a plan. He's got something in store for us. There's there's, you know, if we're longing for God to do something, we know eventually he's going to do it. There's this sense of reassurance. And uh, it's one of those passages that I'm sure many of you would say, oh, that's one of my favorites. That's, you know, I, I cling on to that hope. And, um, 
Some of us might have fridge magnets with it on um, or stuff like that. Some of us may have Instagrammed that passage or something like that. If you want to do that this morning, you can. You know, you can Instagram that passage. And, uh, but here's the thing. One of the, one of the problems with the Bible, okay, is that in order for us to kind of grapple with the Scriptures and be able to understand the Scriptures, one of the things that we've done is we've broken the Bible down into chapters and verses, yeah? And so I could say to you, we're going to read Jeremiah 29 uh, and verse, verse 11, and because the Bible's been broken down into chapters and verses, you can find it, can't you? You can, just, you can go there uh, and you can find the reference that we're going to make. But the problem with reducing that, reducing the Scriptures to chapters and verses, is sometimes we can take verses and, and use them inappropriately. Um, that we can, we can take certain passages of Scripture and um, make them mean things that they, they don't mean. And it, it kind of happens, this happens all the time. I, I don't know if you've uh, ever been to a wedding. Um, but, you know, one of, one of the ways that we, we misuse scriptures at weddings is we quote uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind, love is enduring, all of these sorts of things. And everybody feels warm and glowy because there's this couple at the front of the room who are in love. The only problem is, is that passage of scripture has got nothing whatsoever to do with the love of a couple. Okay? It has nothing to do with that. And, so the, and, that, and that's what we kind of, we, we kind of end up doing. And um, someone, someone once said to me, and I've always tried to take this to heart, is that a text without a context is a pretext. In other words, if we don't examine in the, the, the context of a, a passage of Scripture, it's easily to misappropriate or misapply or misrepresent what a particular passage of Scripture is saying in order to support what we think it should mean. And so, Jeremiah 29, 11, guess what? It's one of those passages. It's, it's one of those passages that we often misrepresent. So, what is the context to this passage that we're reading? Well, in the book of Jeremiah, the people of God, Israel, are in exile. Uh, they've been taken captive um, by the Babylonians, and primarily, this has happened because of their sin and rebellion and disobedience to God. And God uses the Babylonians as agents of judgment against Israel um, because of their continued sin and idolatry uh, and all of those things, their rebellion against God. And so, as you can imagine, the people of God have been taken captive, their identities have been removed from them, and they're desperate. They're desperate for God to do something. They're desperate for God to step in and, and, and rescue them. Now, there were a number of prophetic or so-called prophetic voices around Jeremiah's time. And a number of them speaking into Israel's situation. Um, some of them um, were speaking in a way that Jeremiah says wasn't true. It says, this, um, it says this about them in verse 8 and 9. I told you we're going backwards. It says, Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. 
They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. And you see, what was happening was these so-called prophets were speaking to the people and essentially saying, you know what, guys, it's all going to be okay. God is going to rescue us any minute now. We ain't going to suffer anymore. God's going to come and rescue us. And God raises up Jeremiah to say to the people, that isn't true. That isn't going to happen. That isn't me speaking. I am not speaking through these people. And he, and he responds this way in verse 10. He says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise and bring you back to this place. I'll bring you back to the promised land. And in other words, God, God responds to the people in their pain, in their exile, in their judgment. And he says, guys, guess what? You're going to be here a while. You're, you're going to be in this place for a while. You're going to be here for 70 years. You're going to be here for a lifetime. And, so, and, then, and then we see the real, we begin to see the real context to that, to verse 11. And we see that in verse 4. Still going backwards, reading the Bible backwards. It's a new thing. Um, verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they may too have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now, this passage of Scripture, if you've, you've hung around us as a church for any length of time, shouldn't be that unfamiliar to you. Uh, it's a passage of Scripture that's been quite formational to our understanding of our role and the place that we, we have in our environment, the, the way we're to respond uh, to the, the culture and the city around us. And, and, and so this has been an important passage of Scripture to us. And, and it's in this wider context of this passage, you know, God speaking to the people telling them to settle down, build houses, do all those sorts of things that I want to kind of think about. Um, well, before we jump in and talk about this building, I want us to just think about our place. And, and, and through that, I want to think about this idea of us having a theology of peop- being a people and a place. You see, the, the promise of God in, in verse 11, the plans I have for you, is, is, is not spoken to individuals. It's spoken to a people. It's not a comforting passage for someone looking for a job. You know, it's, it's not a passage for someone desperate for a girlfriend. You know, God isn't like, you know, the plans are for you. She's blonde, five foot three. You know, it, it's, that isn't what this passage is about, okay? It's, it's, it's not like that. And when we use it that way, we misuse it. This passage isn't about personal 
prosperity. It's much more than that. It's bigger than that. It's about a formation of people. So when God says, for I know the plans I have for you, he's not saying, you know, he's not saying it so the people have warm, fuzzy feelings inside. He's saying it because for the next 70 years, they're going to be captives in a strange land. (laughs) They're going to be taken captive by the Babylonians. And God's response to them is, is for the next 70 years, I don't want you to complain much. I just want you to settle down, build houses, and, and just increase in number. Just continue to live life where I've put you. And so that's the first thing that we see in the context, that it's about God speaking to a people. God redeeming a people. God working with a people. But the other thing that this passage talks about is about God working in a place and God putting people in a place. And that's what I want to think about as we think about this this building and what we're doing here. And And so the first thing we see is that God is the one who puts people in places. So if you, if you used to think about where you live currently, I don't know how you ended up being there, um, how you ended up living on your particular neighborhood or street. But my guess is you ended up there because you chose to. Okay, this is deep, isn't it? It's this, this is deep and meaningful stuff. You, you live where you live because you chose to live there. Maybe you chose it because the, the house was in the right price range and you could afford to live there. Maybe it gave you better travel options to work. Maybe um, you live where you live because you grew up there and you've got no choice. That's, that's where you live. Maybe you're there because, I know, you came to university here and you never went home again. Okay, so maybe that's you. Maybe... Um, you know, maybe you think, I, I'm living here because I want my kids to go to that particular school. Whatever it might be, you've made some choices to live there. For Israel, and for the context of this passage, they were in Babylon because of their sin and disobedience. They were there because God put them there. It says this in verse 4, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. That God was the one who allowed them to be placed in Babylon. And the thing I want to suggest to us as we think about what we do in this place is that when we think about the places that we inhabit, although we think we might have made the choice to be where we are, I want to suggest that ultimately we are where we are because God put us there. Because God was the one who put us there. It says in Acts 17 and verse 26, it says, From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact place where they should live. God determined the exact place where mankind should live. Why would God do that? But it goes on to say this. He says, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. 
And so the scriptures kind of support this idea that each of us are put in a place by God. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about that. I don't know if you've ever taken the time to consider the implications of that. You know, what does it mean that God placed you right where you live, the place that you inhabit? God was the one who determined that you would be there. God put you in that place. And, and transversely, you know, God put us as a church community in this place. That, you know, we, we had no intentions of buying this building 20, 30 months ago. But God is the one who puts us in this place. God's the one who puts people in places for, for the long haul. And that's a hard one when we live in a culture that is so transient. And, you know, Northampton is quite a transient place. You know, people often come for short periods of time, maybe three or four years, and, and then they move on. And you see, the, the challenge uh, in a transient culture is, is learning to be obedient to where God has put us in the long haul. Because when all others are moving on around us, it's easy to think, maybe I should go too. And you see, having a, a theology of place that God puts in us in a place means recognizing that God has put us there and he's called us there. <laughs> he's called us to be there. He's called us to be in that place. And you see, that's hard when we, when we live in a culture that says, well, maybe there's a better offer. Maybe there are some better options. Maybe I could buy a bigger house if I just moved to this community. Maybe I could find a better school if we moved in this direction. And it's hard to be a person that says, you know what? I'm here to the day I die. I'm here to the day I die, or I'm here until God says otherwise. How many of us have even considered that? You know, God places us somewhere, and we thought... I'm here for the long haul. I'm here no matter what. You know, the missionaries, they used to, they used to go away and they take their coffins with them because their expectation was they weren't coming back. They were going to the place for the long haul. And then God puts people in places for a purpose. Verse 7 of Jeremiah 29 says this. It says, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. You see, a theology of place is rooted in purpose. And God puts us in places, and he puts us there for the long haul, um, and he puts us there so those places will never be the same again. That he's, he calls us to bring life and transformation to the places that we dwell, to the communities that we inhabit, to the streets where we live. And you see, the, ta- the task of, of the exiles in, in Jeremiah wasn't just to keep their heads down. You know, let's just keep our heads down. Let's not upset anybody. You know, let's just grit, grit our teeth and just bear, bear this pain for the moment. But God gave them instructions. You, you've been taken into exile. You've been taken. You've been put in this place. You're going to be here for 70 years, and I've got something for you to do. He says, seek 
the peace and prosperity of the city. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if the city prospers, if Babylon prospers, you too will prosper. And so as uh, and, and so, as a people called by God, we're called to inhabit the places that we live in for the long haul and to seek its transformation. And, you know, we've, we've said this over and over again. I don't believe we're called uh, to just build a great church, okay? I believe we're called to play our part in a building a great city, in building a transformed Northampton, uh, a transformed Northampton Shear, that God has called us to this region to make a difference, to rewrite the redemptive history uh, around us. And we believe God has placed us as a church in this place. He's placed us in this building, and we believe he's placed us here for the long haul, and we believe he's placed us here for a purpose. But there is tension there. There is a tension for us to hold. Because are we called to a particular place or are we called to multiple places? Are are we called to a particular place here or are we called to multiple places? Or, Or put it another way, are we called to build this project, this building, Or are we called to be a multi-site church as we begin to plant sites across across the county? And and you know, I really recognize the tension in that. Because because if God has called us to this place, why would we now be sending people to other places like Wellingborough and Kettering and, and so on and so forth? Particularly when we want to finish this building. You know. Come on, Steve, surely if you want to finish the building, the more people, the merrier. You know, we, we need as many warm bodies with checkbooks as we possibly can get. Yeah, that's, that, that's the mentality, isn't it? But here's the thing. As we wrestle with that tension, we have to realize the nature of God's kingdom. And Jesus says this in, in Luke. He says, he says, with the measure that we give is also the measure that we receive. The measure that we give is the the measure that we receive. And so as we embark on the development of this property, whilst it seems ludicrous then to kick 50 people out to Wellingborough, actually the willingness that the amount that we're willing to give is the amount that we're going to receive. And so we, so we believe that we're holding our, the, the two realities that we hold in tension as a church. This, this reality of building the local church here, and yet at the same time, multiplying ourselves out across the county. And, and those two things just seem so opposed to each other. But, you know, this is the vineyard, and we love tension, and we love not resolving tension. <laughs> we just live with it. We live in tension. And so that is all to really kind of serve as a backdrop for what we're about to tell you about just the 
ongoing development of this building. You know, we, we do believe God's called us here. We do believe that this place is meant to be part of the transformational, redemptive history of our town. And we believe that in this place, thousands and thousands of lives are meant to be transformed. Uh, and, and we believe that God wants to do that in our midst. And so um, just to kind of give you a little bit of a backdrop, but last, last March, April time, um, we, we kind of drew most of our development of this building to a close. Um, one, because there was, wasn't much more to do on this floor, although we'd still love to do the toilets. Um, and, um, and, 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 so, and we was also exhausted. Um, you know, having lots of building work go on around you is, is tiring and exhausting. And so we just said, let's just take some time off doing any development work in the building. And then in November last year, um, we came into contact with a company called Mayway Construction, um, who are based in Coventry. They, are, they happen to be a Christian um, construction company. Um, that isn't, you know, that, that wasn't the reason why we chose them or anything like that. You know, it's not, I'm not saying get a Christian milkman or plumber or anything like that. I'm just saying they happen to be Christians, okay? Um, um, and, and, and one of the unique things about Mayway is that they have, they've done over 100 church projects like this. Um, some of them from the ground up, some of them alterations and refurbishments of church buildings and stuff like that. They've never really done a nightclub and social club that's become a church. And so that, that was a unique project for them. Um, but one of the unique things that they do is that they, they will do all the design work and all the costings at their risk. Okay? So the reality is they will do all of that, which, you know, if you know anything about construction, is thousands and thousands of pounds worth of work. They will do that at their risk of not getting a contract. Okay? So we thought, well, this is a no-brainer. What have we got to lose? You know, um, you know, we can get them to do this and then find someone half the price. Um, and, and so um, they've, they've done a whole bunch of work with us. So in, in November, we met with them. And then and conversely, over the last few months, we've continued to dialogue with them. And they've come up with a brand new scheme. Now, one of the things that we said to them was, well, if you're going to do this and you're going to do this well, we might as well not put any limits on what you do which is the stupidest thing to say, okay? Um, because um, there's a difference between having no limits and the amount of money that things cost, okay? Um, and so we'll get to that in a minute. But um, just to kind of show you what they've come up with, uh, we've got some floor plans. And so this is uh, the downstairs auditorium space. I did have a little thing, but it's run out of battery. Um, and so... <laughs> If I point, you should know what I mean. Um, as you can see, they've created an auditorium space um, downstairs, which will seat 350 people. That's about 50 people more than we were anticipating. Uh, and then they've created this like welcome foyer space, which has like a retractable door system. So you can we can open it up as like an overspill, which would give us space for another 50 on top of that. So that means we could get another 100 people downstairs. Some of you are thinking that means not having two services. Um, so just, yeah, just to bear that in mind. Um, so for a space for 400 people, potentially. Um, they have removed the stairs going downstairs and put a lift shaft in there. Um, this is where the price goes up. Um, 
and they've created a new stairway entrance uh, to the front of the building. And I'll explain how that looks in a moment if we click onto the next one. And so this is upstairs where we are now. And um, the, the big change is obviously this room becoming two rooms uh, with a retractable uh, wall system as well. So it be can, can become one room or it can be two rooms. Uh, and then the cafe area slightly changing to this kind of balcony kind of arrangement overlooking the new stairs that go downstairs. Um, we've got some side views of the property. Uh, and so what they're proposing is a brand new entrance to the building, uh, as you can see, which takes the entrance to the building up to two levels um, and a lot more area and glass-fronted, uh, that sort of thing, more glass to be broken, uh, I suppose. But, uh, and um, so um, you can see there. But I'm conscious that, you know, flat pictures are kind of hard to imagine sometimes, aren't they? So we, we got them to also do some uh, designs for us. So there is the kind of transformed entrance that they came up with. Uh, as you can see, there's the stairs going up to this level with the lift shaft next to it, and then uh, a brand new entrance. And the cafe area becomes like this floating, floating balcony uh, overlooking it all. Um, and then as you come down the stairs, into the welcome foyer on the lower floor, if we click. Uh, so that would be the entrance into the auditorium with the retractable doors. We've got toilets uh, on this side and the cafe, and then the lift would come down behind where it says connect. There would be a lift coming down there. And Jesus is on the stage. I don't know if you notice that. <laughs> um, um, and then if we click again, we've got one, the reverse view of that as well. Uh, so this is from the stage looking out over uh, the auditorium. So um, it, looks, it looks fab, doesn't it? It's like um, everything in me wants to go and do this now. Um, partly because I'm fed up with doing two services. No. Um, everything in me wants me to do this now um, because we think it has so much potential. We think the Lord could do some... Wonderful, wonderful things. Uh, click. Um, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you because Susie is going to come and tell you, one of our trustees. Um, but suffice to say is that, um, you know, um, this project can be taken in some different ways. Um, they, they've scheduled the project to take a, a year. Uh, it would take about 48 months to complete. There would be a 28-week construction period. Sorry, did I say months? 48 weeks. Yeah. Yeah, phew. <laughs> it might feel like 48 months. 48 weeks, and um, there would be a construction period of about 28 weeks. Um, and, uh, but we could, also, we could also do it in stages. So... The auditorium, which we all already have kind of an idea of costing and stuff like that, we could just get on with. And then this whole new frontage could come at a later stage. But Susie's going to come and tell you the good news. 
Thanks very much. The good news is, is if you would rather not know this, you could just make some ham sandwiches for street church next week, and that would be easier. <laughs> but um, Right, so first of all, I'm going to tell you that we are not asking you for money today because I can see that you are all starting to tense up and hy hyperventilate. We are not launching a, pro a building project, so just... Chill out, take a breath, it's going to be fine. And then the second thing I'm going to tell you is that it will, all said and done, all singing and dancing, everything, 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 to be beautiful and awesome will be over half a million pounds. But saying that, it can be broken down. Um, as you can see, um, design, planning, everything that's been, most of what's been done now so far has been um, for free to get us to this point. But then we do start needing... If we decide to go ahead, we need to stop paying and digging deep. So you've got all your designing, all your planning, all your proper stuff that you need to do and your surveys and stuff, almost £35,000. Health and safety, that's actually usually the painful bit, but on this, it's the least of our worries, 3500 Construction, so that's the biggie, 300000 um, which you can imagine why. And then... The 170,000 at the bottom for all your electrical work and stuff. What are, one of the big problems downstairs is the ventilation issues. So that is a lot of money. But as Steve said, um, it can be broken down. We can do it um, in stages. And on top of that, 514,000 pounds, there may be a little bit of that, just to say. So, um, but how could we do this? You know, before we go on to about how we could do this, I just thought I'd just share very quickly two things without going off script too much. Um, one of the things is I really feel that, um, that this building and this place is a crossroads for people. And I know that we are on crossroads, but actually people that come into this building, be it a Sunday or day in the week, it's where they make those life choices and those changes of which way they're going to go. And I just think that this building, when you look at sort of the, the, the frontage side of it, it really is somewhere where people are going to come to these crossroads and come to these traffic lights in the middle of town, and they're going to make that decision of whether they come in or not. And I know that um, with the good loaf, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, people who need help or homeless or people coming out of prison or whatever it is, or people like you and I, they should sort of be grateful for what they get, and if they get a cup of tea, they should be grateful, whatever. But actually, quality is so important to people to feel valued, you know, and um, it shouldn't be about what it looks like and, and how snazzy it is, because I know that Jesus is everywhere and the gospel is everywhere. And coming from Zimbabwe, you see people sitting under a tree worshiping Jesus. But actually, when people are standing outside in our town, in the middle of our town, they are going to be making that choice as to whether they come in or not. And I just think that that um, whole front thing is just amazing because I know if, if it was me, I think I'd be choosing to come in, to be honest with you. <laughs> but, um, oh, just the other little thing. When we're <laughs> very quick, Steve, very quick. Um, you know, the, no, actually, I'll get, get to the back. So we could do grants. We could do grant funding. Steve sent me a list of 15 places or more where we could, you know, write off and ask people to um, do grants. And because Restore is so active in the week and there's the food bank and there's all the other great community things that, that they do, I think that there's a real opportunity there to get um, grant funding coming in. There's land tax money. Steve is available afterwards to have all questions about that. Um, <laughs> 
uh, money from the council, you know, if we're going to be doing stuff, and we're going to be doing stuff for this town, and we're going to be part of regenerating this town, it is definitely worth conversations with our um, county council maybe another day, and um, our borough council. We've had a few very, very... Um, little conversations there already. We can look at um, remortgaging the property, you know, that, that you know, the, none of the stuff we're saying we're going to do, but it is options that we can look at. Um, capital campaign basically means asking you for money. Sorry about that. But um, you've already raised like 400,000, so I'm sure just you could do it again. <laughs> It'll be fine. <laughs> and... Um, and this is just what I wanted to share about this last investment. And I should really know how to say this next word. Philanthropist. I should know that because of the work I do. Um, but I just wanted to share with you that there are actually people out there who are actually really loaded. And really, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I am not one of those. So it's difficult for me to understand this. But <laughs> when the good loaf was having a bit of a difficult time... Um, at the beginning of this year, um, this lovely blonde lady liked what we did, and she said, oh, I like what you do, and it was like, oh, that's nice, and all of that, and um, lots of people like the fact that we help vulnerable women, and da 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 and make good coffee and bread and all of that, that really helps, but... Um, when we were having our little problem, said, people said to me, you know what, tap this lady up for some, for some money. She should really, you know, she should really help. And I was like, hmm, I'm not very good at that. So um, anyway, I just sent our crowdfunding link. And I was like, oh, just, you know, just to let you know the crowdfunding. Um, if you could share this on your Facebook, that would be nice. And um, she was like, and then people said, no, you need to push her. She's loaded. She's absolutely loaded. So um, <laughs> just, <laughs> just before Christmas, I sent her another email. I said, oh, I'm not sure if you got my other email, but um, just to let you know we're crowdfunding. And, mm, you know, if you could share it or if you had any rich friends or anything, that would be nice. And um, she made us a really big donation. She made us a really big donation. And with that donation, Santander gave us another 5,000 on top of it straight up on that day because um, they were like, oh, your, your, your campaign's popular, so we're going we're gonna to invest in you as well. And we kind of, um, and it was, it was like, it was like, wow, okay, that's nice. But only when I was watching Harry and Meghan's wedding last week, was she there talking to George Clooney <laughs> right in there in the church, front, at the front. She's wearing a pink hat. <laughs> and you just, you just don't know when God's going to open these doors for you, you know. And um, so just to say, you know, the very last one, that big word there, there are loaded people out there. Who knows what's going to happen? But um, it's just, you know, th this isn't about asking for money today. It's just about, you know, letting you know what the leadership's been talking about, what the trustees have been talking about, and just really planting that seed to... Um, see where we go about it. Five years from now, you could be just sitting there saying, remember that day Susie's told you about the rich lady? Who knows? <laughs> Thank you, Susie. And so um, we, would love, we would love to start tomorrow. Um, and if you want to write a check for that, then we would love to invite you and welcome you to do that. But as Susie said, it's not about money. It's not about asking for anything today. We just wanted to be really transparent and just say, this is where we've got to. Uh, this, this is what we're thinking about. This is what we're dreaming about. And, and really what this, if we could put that frontage back up again, that would be, you know, really what that represents is, you know, we talk about bringing life to our city. 
We talk about bringing life to this, this neighborhood and, and the people around it. I, I don't know if you've looked out there. It's quite barren, isn't it? You know, with the, the bus station being knocked down and all those sorts of things. It's, it looks a little bit run down and weary. And, and when I saw this design for the first time, I was like, it's like, it was almost like new life springing up. In a, in a barren land. There's like a sense of like something new occurring. And, and, you know, let's be honest, we've got a council that kind of dragged their feet when it comes to developing new things and stuff like that. And, and maybe, we, maybe the church could take a lead uh, in bringing life uh, to this community and, and seeing transformation take place.